Father in heaven, today we're going to jump into some difficult teaching. It's not that hard to understand. It's just difficult for us to live. I believe it's been that way for mankind from the very beginning. We're going to look at grace and we're going to look at otherness. We're going to bring the two together and see what it looks like in our lives. I'm asking, Father, that you bring it together. I'm asking that your word do the teaching. I'm asking that you help us accept that this is truth. It's your truth. It's the way you want us to view everyone around us. Help us to do that. Lord, these next few moments are yours. I pray that you'll do with them what only you can. Touch our hearts. Change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Just out of curiosity, have any of you ever thrown a dinner party that has been interrupted by an uninvited guest? Anybody ever done that? Few of you have. That can be a tremendously uncomfortable experience. Somebody shows up that you weren't expecting, or worse, somebody shows up that you would have never invited. They're not the type of person that, that you would spend time with, and now here they are at your party. Tough deal. Simon knows exactly what that's like. He lived in a, a kind of interesting community. It was one of those that wasn't too big and not too small, just a, a right type of community, kind of like Libby, just a, a right community. And Simon was one of those people that had grown in prominence. He had grown in, in stature within the community because he was a very wealthy man. He also had a position of authority over a number of people, and so that allowed him to grow in prominence and stature. The interesting thing about Simon, though, is not everybody liked him. And one of those personalities that just kind of rubbed people wrong. Yet when he would throw a dinner party, everybody in the community wanted to come because his parties were notorious. They always made the headlines in the newspaper, and usually there were pictures associated with it as well, so that everybody could see who was there, and you wanted your name printed in the paper as having attended one of Simon's famous, famous dinner parties. Now, it wasn't just the food that was wonderful. The views from his house were tremendous. The people that he would have made everybody want to be there, just so they could rub shoulders with them. One particular week, he decided that he was going to throw a party like he had never thrown before. He was going to pull out all the stops because there was a celebrity of sorts coming to town and Simon had already invited him to join him for dinner and he had sent out invitations to all the other people of prominence in the community and asked them to come as well and they had responded, sent their cards back, said they would be there. So he was really looking forward to it, told the newspaper what was going on. They were ready to come and take pictures. Everybody was excited. Night of the party came around. They all showed up at his house, all the invited guests. They were shown to their seats. This celebrity that was there greeted everybody, very wonderful, genuine man that was just a joy to be around. He greeted everybody and then took his place at the head of the table, a place that somewhat uncomfortable for him, yet he sat down there. Just as dinner got started, there was a knock on the door. It was one of those knocks that didn't necessarily say that anybody had to answer the door. Whoever it was that was knocking was coming on in, and that's exactly what they did. They opened the door and came on in, and Simon was blown away. The lady that showed up at his house at his dinner party was a notorious prostitute within the community. Notorious prostitute. 
Everybody knew what she did for a living. Everybody knew how she made money. Everybody knew the story of her life. And here she was standing in Simon's dining room. All these other people didn't know what to say. Simon didn't know what to say. So he just kept his mouth shut. But boy, he had a few things to think. He had a few things that would run through his mind. Well, I'll just show them to you. Let's go to the the Gospel of Luke. You can see where this story is actually at in the Bible. I'll give you what Scripture says about it, and you'll quickly realize I embellished some of the rest of it. That's a preacher's prerogative to do, I guess. We're in Luke chapter 7. That's where Simon's story is recorded. Starting in verse 36, listen to this. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. That's Simon's house. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, that's the prostitute. As she stood before him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, that is everything we know about Simon's dinner party. Everything else that I shared with you, like I said, totally embellished. Those are the details as they are recorded in Scripture. Simon is a Pharisee, probably not well-liked, probably a man of great wealth. He's thrown this dinner party, invited all these people to come. Jesus is there, and then this woman shows up. She's a, a woman of ill repute, a woman of a bad reputation, a prostitute. Imagine what that'd be like. You've thrown a, a dinner party and a prostitute shows up. Stripper knocks on your door, walks right through the front door, and comes and stands in your dining room. That's what's going on for Simon. Those are the details of the story. Listen to what goes through his mind. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, she's just poured this perfume on Jesus' feet, and she has cried over his feet, taken her hair, and she has dried her tears with her hair. One of the most humbling things anyone could ever do. Yet Simon is thinking, boy, if he knew what kind of woman she was, if he knew what her background was, if he knew where she had come from, he would have never allowed this. All this is running through his mind. You can imagine exactly what it's like. According to the Bible, he kept every one of those thoughts to himself. Listen to verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Folks, let this be a reminder to you. Even the things that go through your mind, God is aware of. Even the things that you think, God knows. At no point does the Bible tell us that Simon voiced this. He was just thinking it. And Jesus is responding to his thoughts. Verse 41. Two women owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Can't you imagine Simon thinking, where's he going with this? How does he know what I'm thinking? How did he figure all this out? I would have loved to have known what was going through his mind at this point. Verse 41, or 43, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Now, that was some great teaching for Simon, following these thoughts of judgment that had run through his mind, following all of the circumstances that surrounded this situation. Jesus followed it with beautiful teaching for Simon, and then he follows it with beautiful teaching for every one of us. This is in verse 44, and I want you to listen really close. 
Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Now, I don't want to go any further than that. I want you to grab that teaching right there. Jesus turns, looks at the woman, the prostitute, the stripper that is standing in the dinner party that Jesus had been invited to at Simon's house. Simon had just been thinking all of this. Jesus had just responded to his thoughts, cut him right to the quick. And now Jesus looks right at this woman and he says, and you can picture how this happens. Simon is is looking at Jesus, but Jesus is looking at the woman and he says, Simon, do you see this woman? What do you think Simon would have said? Bible doesn't tell us. What do you think he would have said? I think he would have said, yes, I do. Absolutely. She's standing right here in my dining room, interrupted my dinner party. You bet I see her. I see her for exactly who she is. And I believe Jesus would have looked back at Simon and said, no, you don't. You can't see her at all. You can't see her at all. You have no idea about the debts that have been canceled in her life. You don't even have an idea about the debts that have been canceled in yours. You are blinded by it. You cannot see her. That is a great question. Simon, do you see this woman? It's actually a question most of us should be confronted with in the world that we live in today. You see, our society has gotten to a place where people walk around with their heads down all the time, never making eye contact with anybody, never looking at anybody else. We're just focused on our own life, doing our own thing, and we've taken it up a a notch from there. We walk around with earbuds in our ears. A lot of people do this. Earbuds connected to an iPod or an iPhone or an MP3 player, any number of different things. And we not only have our eyes down, but we have visibly told everybody, I want nothing to do with you. I don't want to see you and I don't want to hear you. Please do not talk to me. I am in my own world. Could you imagine what would happen if Jesus today asked us if we saw the people around us? We might want to say yes, but the truth, the real answer to that question, no, I don't. I don't see any of these people. And I certainly don't see them for who they really are. You see, in answer to Jesus' question, most of us would have to answer it the way they would have to answer it, honestly. All we see is what we want to see. Here's this couple that's out on a date. It's been a long time since they've been on a date. The fire in their marriage is somewhat diminished, and so they're out trying to rekindle it. But they're exhausted by life, and they see a married couple, and they know they're married. Wedding rings on their fingers. They know they're married, and they look at them and say, that can't be the case. It has to be a first date. There's no way that they've been married for a long time and they're acting that way. That's just impossible. What we do when we see people is judge them through our own eyes and through our own issues. And what Jesus was saying to Simon was, Simon, you take a look at this woman. You look at the debts in her life that have been canceled. You see her for who she really is. Don't judge her. Don't try to measure her yourself. You just take a look at her and see her which is something every one of us should do, something every one of us should learn, but we don't, and particularly in the culture that we live in today. By the way, after first service, Chris Brown told me that there's another movie out called Avatar, which we happen to own. I've never watched it because it has blue people in it, and my boys have always wanted me to watch Avatar with them, and I always tell them I don't like movies with blue people, so I'm not going to watch the blue people. But Chris told me that in that movie, they would be interrupted in their lives, and when they were interrupted, they would turn to people and say to them these words, I see you. Anybody seen that movie? Do you remember that? I see you. 
And Chris is telling me, wouldn't it be wonderful if that's the way we responded today when somebody interrupts us in the everyday aspects of life to turn to them and say, I see you, as if to communicate to them, you have my full attention and I have yours and let's connect right now. I see you. Apparently that only happens with blue people. I don't know. If we really want to get to the place where we can do what Jesus was asking Simon to do, though, we have to get to a place where we can look through our own woundedness so that we can see folks. Most people have unique ways of looking at other people. We will look at them and and think to ourselves, well, this is the type of person that has hurt me in the past, so I don't want anything to do with them. Or we might look at them and say, I don't know much about you, but there's a strong possibility that you'll hurt me in the future, so I don't really want to get very close to you. We might actually know some of these people and say to ourselves, that happened one time, I'm never going to allow it to happen again, and it doesn't matter what was happening in these people's lives. All I know is that it wounded me and it left some deep wounds in my life. And as a result of those deep wounds, we've gotten to a place where we keep everybody at a great distance. We don't let anyone get close to us because we've been wounded. Think about how deep some of those can go. The deepest wounds in people's lives come from their family or they come from their friends. And and folks, it hurts me to say this, but sometimes the deepest wounds in people's lives come from their faith communities. It comes from the people that they fellowship with. So it's always interesting to me when people start coming to the church. It doesn't take long before we hear statements like this. I don't really like going to church because there's a lot of hypocrites there. What people are really saying is I've been wounded by some of those people who said one thing and did something else. Or other people will be really a a lot more transparent and make statements like this. I don't want to go to church anymore because I've been hurt by the people of the church. So I just stay distant. Well, when they stay distant from the church, distance from God comes very quickly because God said, that's my bride. How do you love him and reject his bride? I've never understood that. So distance with God begins to creep in and it it gets in there in the, the biggest of ways. Yet I'm the first one to acknowledge those wounds are there. They're real. And if they have been inflicted by family or friends or your faith community, they run deep. You're not the only person that has ever experienced that. The church today is not the only church that has ever experienced that. Do you know that it goes back at least to the time of King David? Listen to what he says in the book of Psalms. We're going to go right to the middle of your Bible. Psalm chapter 55, starting in verse 12. David writes, If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng at the house of God. Those are David's words as he's saying, I have been deeply hurt by somebody that I worshipped with. And that's a deeper wound than what a friend could have afflicted, what a companion could have afflicted on him. It's a wound that comes from people that he worshipped with. So even David understood it. Even David knows what that's like. But folks, here's the deal about your woundedness. If you really get to a place where you have studied it out, you have thought about it, and you have spent enough time in it, then you have determined this, and listen closely to me on this. Your wounds can provide healing for your life. Now, I want to make sure that you understand what I'm saying. I'm not just saying that you can be healed of your wounds. Listen to this. Your wounds can provide healing for your life. 
I'm going to keep you in the Old Testament to show you what I'm talking about. We're going to go to the book of Zechariah. Now, if you want to find Zechariah the easiest way, go back to the New Testament, to the book of Matthew. Turn left a couple of books. You will run into Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 12 and 13 contain a messianic prophecy, meaning it is an Old Testament passage that talks about the coming of the Messiah or the coming of Jesus Christ. That's what we're looking at in these two chapters. Both of them are talking directly about Jesus himself. So listen to what the prophet says. This is Zechariah chapter 12, starting in verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one who grieves for a firstborn son. Now skipping down to chapter 13, verse 6. If someone asks him, what are the wounds on your body? Now let's read that a little bit differently. If someone asks Jesus, what are these wounds on your body? He will answer, the wounds I was given at the house of my friends. Now that's the scars from the nails in his hands. Scars in the nails of his feet. The hole in his side that came from a sword. The ripped flesh on his back from where they whipped him, the holes in his head and his scalp from where they drove a crown of thorns into his head. Jesus says, these are the wounds that I received at the house of a friend. Bible would refer to Abraham as a friend of God because of his faith. It should be the goal of every believer to be called a friend of God. That really should be what every one of us is trying to get to, and it is possible through Jesus Christ. You can have a reconciled relationship with God through His Son and through what He did on the cross. That's the message of the gospel, that you might be called a friend of God. Now, here's the theology of this. If you are called a friend of God, then you have to recognize that the wounds that Jesus suffered were inflicted by you. It's very easy for us to say that the Jews killed Jesus, or some people would say the Romans killed Jesus. The truth of it is this, your sins, my sins, the sins of the people sitting next to you, the sins of every person from the beginning of time and everyone that will live until the time that Jesus Christ returns for his children, put Jesus on the cross. We all killed him. The wounds that were on his body are wounds that were placed there by us. Yet, Jesus died for us. Jesus said, I will pay that price. I'll take care of it. Now let's go to the New Testament so that you can follow this whole teaching all the way out. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. These are the Apostle Paul's words. Philippians 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, listen to this part, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Do you hear what Paul said? I want to know Christ, and I want a fellowship in his sufferings, that I might attain the resurrection of the dead, that I might have my life restored. What Paul is saying is this. Jesus was wounded and wounded deeply, and I need to be as well so that I can truly understand Him and be healed. 
Now, most of us would want to say things like this, Lord, isn't there another path? Can't we get there some other way? The Bible does not teach a different path. The Bible teaches that there's healing through your wounds because they drive you to the cross, that you might understand the depth of God's love, that you might understand what he did for you, that you could then do it for someone else. Mark Buchanan, one of my favorite authors, would actually say this, wounds are the deepest form of intimacy that we have with God for this one simple reason. When you have been wounded by other people, God throws his arms around you, and according to Buchanan, he calls those moments the great kiss of God. He throws his arms around you, places his lips on your forehead or your cheek like a father would or like a mother would. He kisses you and he holds you and he says, it is going to be okay, I know exactly what you're going through. It's the deepest form of intimacy. Because within our wounds, we have nowhere else to look for true healing except God. That's it. So God is ready to throw His arms around us, hold us really tight, and say, it will be okay. I understand the great kiss of God. Buchanan goes on to say things like this. This is good stuff. When I first became a Christian, I read the Bible many times. It was an exciting book to me, but most of it was read with a flat, drab monotone, like someone reading the minutes of an old meeting. When I realized the wounds of my life, those given and received, I found tonal richness in Scripture. I can hear the voice of God in the Word of God, and it has made it intensely personal. Marshall Shelley, in an editorial in Leadership Magazine, tells of meeting Bruce Macchiano, who played Jesus in the film version of Matthew. Bruce told about the scene where Jesus denounces and calls curses down on unrepentant cities. The Bible would say, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! Only the actor couldn't get the voice right. How does the Messiah, the only begotten Son of God, speak words of doom and damnation? He says, This is what happened. I was standing in front of 500 people, cast members, extras, sound and lighting crews, and suddenly, in a fraction of a second, something happened. I'm not a mystical person, but what happened was so horrible that my heart broke. I saw people living their lives in ways that God did not plan. The closest I can come to describing it would be what parents might feel if they look out the window and see their toddler walking into the street and a truck approaching. They scream for the child to come back, but the little one keeps going in the street. And he found the voice of Jesus. When we understand the same thing, We get the vision of Jesus that allows us to look at people and see them for who they really are. Remember his question to Simon. Simon, do you see this woman? Same question that he might ask of every one of us. Do you see these people around you? When we really get to a place where we understand our woundedness and that woundedness gets gathered together in the wounds of Christ, then we get there. Book of Isaiah would teach this, by his wounds, some translations of the Bible say by his stripes, we are healed. By the wounds of Jesus afflicted by his friends and the wounds in your life, maybe they're there by family, friends, or, or your faith background. By those wounds, when you are driven to the cross of Jesus Christ, you are healed. Your wounds provide healing. Isn't that an interesting teaching? It really is. Your wounds drive you to the cross where you can experience the great kiss of God 
It is one of the greatest acts of intimacy there is in our relationship with the Lord. And here's what happens when we understand it. Gospel of John, chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now let's read that one more time. Some of you hadn't quite caught up yet. Verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now here's what Jesus is teaching. God has loved you in all of your woundedness, so now you love one another. He might say that differently. See the people around you. Take a look at their lives and love them. Love them as I have loved you. Now, some of you might be thinking to yourself, Preacher, that sounds great. It really does. Phil, you have summed it up for us. We understand it. Now, we're going to go to dinner and forget everything that you just said. That's our plan. And that happens a lot. I understand that. I don't want you to leave here and forget everything I've said. Instead, I want you to have some tools that can help you with this. This comes from a guy named John Powers. John believes that every love relationship goes through a certain journey of five steps. As I've studied it out and thought more about it, it makes perfect sense to me. Here are the five steps. He says, we begin in the cliche, we move into the fact, then to the the realm of opinion, and if we make it through the realm of opinion, we get into the realm of emotion that eventually leads us to transparency. And if we get through transparency, we have arrived at the point of real love relationships. Now, let me illustrate this for you from my own life. We'll just pick on me. I am from the state of Kansas. That's not a revelation to those of you that have worshipped here for very long at all. I am from Kansas, born and raised in the state of Kansas. When people hear that, there are many cliche statements that come flying out. A number of them I have heard over and over and over again, and some of you are guilty of saying them to me. Let me give you a few of them. People will look at me and say, oh, you're from the state of Kansas. Well, you're not in Kansas anymore, are you? (laughs) Love that one. This is one of my personal favorites. So is it true that you can click your heels and just go home? That's one of my favorites too. Or they'll say things like this if they get out of the Wizard of Oz, different cliches. They'll say, boy, state of Kansas is sure flat, isn't it? I can understand why you wanted to come to Montana and live here. That place is just flat. They talk about the dirt of Nebraska coming to rest in Kansas for a little while before it blows on down to Oklahoma, or the Colorado dirt coming to rest on us in Kansas before it makes its way to Missouri. There's all kinds of statements like that. Now, let me just stop right here and say, I have heard every cliche statement there is about the state of Kansas, so don't spend the rest of the sermon racking your brain to come up with new ones so you can come say them to me on the way out. We don't need to do that, not at all. So those are some of the cliche things that happen. But if we can move past the cliches, and they happen in all kinds of different ways, it's not just geography. If we move past the cliches, we get into the realm of fact. So here are some facts for you. No, I am no longer in the state of Kansas. Tina and I have moved to Montana. We love Montana. We believe this is a great place. We live here now. That's fact. Here's another one for you. It is not true that every person from the state of Kansas can click their heels and instantly be transported home. So that doesn't work either. This is one of my favorite ones to to share with people. I've never seen the movie. I'm born and raised in Kansas, and I have never seen The Wizard of Oz. I plan on dying with that fact still in place. (laughs) 
I have seen bits and pieces of it, but I have never seen the whole movie, and for that I am very grateful. Here's another fact that maybe you don't know about. The state of Kansas is not all flat, just like the state of Montana is not all flat. The Flint Hills on the eastern side of the state of Kansas are rolling, beautiful hills. There's a gorgeous part of the state. Now, I'm the first one to say western Kansas leaves a little bit to be desired, but have you been to eastern Montana? The only time you want to go there is to hunt and then come home. It's the same thing in Kansas. Tina grew up in the Flint Hills of Kansas. It's a beautiful place. So we can start sharing fact with one another. And if we get to this place right in here, and we still want to progress on in the relationship, that'll put us in the realm of opinion. When we get to opinion, we start to learn things like religious points of view, political points of view, how you feel about marriage or sexual orientation. All kinds of different things come out within the realm of opinion. For a lot of people, this is where they bail out of the relationship. They don't want to go any further. Let me give you some other cliches that come to a dead end right here. People find out I'm a preacher and they have all kinds of cliche beliefs about what a preacher is and how a preacher lives and thinks. When we get to the realm of opinion, they've already believed that they have me completely figured out. So when I share other opinions, it can shock them. Same thing is true for you. Somebody you work with finds out you're a Christian and they apply cliches to you. By the time you get to opinion, they can be somewhat shocked. So they find out all kinds of different things about who you are in this realm, and a lot of relationships stop right there. It's just a dead end. doesn't go any further. But those that progress on get into the realm of emotion. And emotion is where you begin to disagree about some opinions. You share something, and the other person shares a differing point of view. Well, in today's world, what typically happens is we push back. We say, hey, you don't agree with what I'm saying or you're not going to do what I want you to do. Therefore, I have no use for you and we don't need to continue on in this. It sounds something like this. Well, we'll just have to agree to disagree. And that's the end of the relationship because there isn't enough within you to push through the emotion. So you stop. You want to know something somewhat shocking? That happens in a lot of marriages. Think about that. That happens in a lot of marriages. They never get to the place of transparency because in the realm of emotion, they don't push through it. They don't ever build in the tools that they need to disagree with one another in healthy ways. So they push back and they build walls around themselves that keeps people at a distance. You ever seen one of those people that just seems to always have everybody at an arm's length away and they never let anybody get really close and if they start to, they get up here and then they shove them back? Well, they're getting hung up somewhere between here and here. And they've built walls that keep them from doing that. There was a lady that came out after first service and said 43 years ago that happened in her marriage and they stopped right there. 43 years ago that happened in their marriage and they stopped right there. But if you push through that, you get to the realm of transparency where you can be, are you ready for this? Seen for who you really are. Loved for who you really are. You get into the realm of transparency and you can love the other person for who they really are. And you could answer Jesus' question if he said, do you see this person? Yes, I do. I see them and I am seen by them. But it requires us to get to that phase. Now, if you want to have just some fun this afternoon, let me encourage you to take those five steps and figure out five different what you would refer to as love relationships in your life and ask where they're at. Put a little X 
somewhere in that journey for every one of them. Where are you at? Now, one of those could be your husband or wife. But then after that, I would encourage you to fill it in with people from the peripheral aspects of your life, friendships, people that you go to church with, people that you work with. Five people, where are they at? Do I really see them? And maybe more importantly, am I seen by them? Now, if we really do want to get to this place where we love other people the way God loves us, and we see them for who they are, and we love them, and they love us for who they are and who we are, then it requires something else. It really does, notwithstanding the grace of God. There's an old Irish philosopher who taught this long time ago, and it made sense, and the church embraced it. And now, for whatever reason, churches have moved away from it, and it seems really tragic to me. But this is what this Irish philosopher taught. That we all need to experience purposeful times in our life of suspended space. And what he means by suspended space usually comes in the form of an hour, maybe two hours at a time, where you purposefully enter a situation and choose not to see people by race or creed or by wealth or lack of wealth. Doesn't matter male or female, black or white, doesn't matter rich or poor, doesn't matter jobs or occupations. In the realm of suspended space, you only see people as children of God. That's it. That's the only thing that matters. I will purposefully enter this block of time and see people only as children of God. When we do that, when we do that, We will see them, and they will see us. Let me show you how this works. Would you stand up right where you're at? I want to encourage you to take the next couple of moments and find three people in this congregation right now, three people that you do not know or do not know very well. Go introduce yourself to them and visit just a little bit and look at them as a child of God. Three people. Go for it. I'm not getting them back. (laughs) Same thing happened first service. That's great. If you would, go ahead and find your seat again. Wrap up the conversation you're in. All right, here we go. Go ahead and be seated once you get back to your chair. I wish all of you had the opportunity to see that from up here. Ray and I were just standing here watching everybody, and we saw some interesting things. First of all, we saw people in suspended space going to visit with people that they do not know very well, and you were seeing one another, maybe for just a moment, but you were seeing one another. Some of you instantly looked at your husband or wife and thought, okay, who are we going to go talk to? I, I don't want to divide up and go someplace else, and so let's go together because it's safer. You know what you're communicating? If you want to see me, you see us. Some of you sat down right where you were at. You know what's communicated by that? I do not want to be seen. I don't want people to look at me. I don't want people to see me even as a child of God for who I am. Interesting dynamics. And then obviously what you saw is a number of you were saying, I see you and I am seen by you and I don't want it to stop because you didn't want it to stop. It's what we long for. Jesus' words to Simon, do you see this woman? God's place for that to happen is the church. He designed it that way. This is the perfect place of suspended space. 
where you can come and be seen and you can be transparent and people can love you for who you are with all of your warts and all of your wounds. That's what church is all about. It's a place to be loved and it's a place for you to love. You want to take it up a notch? Try this. I did this in first service, just kind of a spur of the moment thing. If you really want to get to this point of transparency within the realm of suspended space, join a salt group. It's a place of transparency where you show up for an hour or two a week and you tell people, hey, here's who I am. Love me for who I am. And you have a chance to love other people for who they are. Suspended space of transparency where you can see and be seen. It's a great thing. God's design was the church. Use it that way. And folks, here's the only way that it works. If we do it. So my encouragement to you when you pull into church on Sunday morning, maybe just as you're coming in to the parking lot, but preferably before you even leave your house, let this be your prayer. Lord, today, let me see people. Let me see them for who they really are. Try it throughout the course of your week for just an hour or two at a time. The old Irish philosopher said, we can't live this way all the time. It's just too hard for us. But for an hour or two at a time, pray that same prayer. Lord, let me see these people that I work with. Lord, let me see the people that I live around. Let me engage with them. We will make eye contact with one another. We will communicate together. And we will see and be seen. That's God's design. Try it. See what happens. Look through your own woundedness, because there you will find healing. It's not just that you will be healed, but you will find healing for one simple reason. By His wounds. And ours were gathered to him on the cross. By his wounds, we are healed. I'm going to ask Scott Granger, one of our elders, to pray for us this morning, to pray for our church and to pray for us individually that we might see people and be seen by them. Scott? Let's pray. Father God, uh, what a privilege it is to come here and worship you each week and to fellowship with other believers and and get to know others that uh, we don't know very well. And, and uh, we just thank you for that, God. We know in your word that uh, it says where, where two or more gathered together, you are there also. So we know you are here with us too, God. And, and it's just sweet that you uh, are here with us, fellowshipping with us as we fellowship with each other. And I just ask, God, as we go our separate ways this afternoon uh, throughout the week, that um, you go before us and when we see another person that we recognize from church that give us the courage and the boldness to go up and and start a conversation with them and um, if we don't know their names introduce ourselves and get to know them a little better and and just uh, enjoy that fellowship with them and that common bond we have uh, through the blood of your son Jesus it's his name we pray amen